Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you that it tells us how we are to live our lives before you. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit may be amongst us this morning as we look at your word and what it says. And Lord, we pray that he may convict us of our sin and help us to live lives that are fitting and pleasing in your eyes as a result of looking at your word together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, how do you respond when you realise that you've done something wrong, that you've made a mistake? Our children have either two responses, generally. First is uh, they hide the evidence of what implicates them for doing something wrong. So they will try and get it out of mum or dad's sight so that we do not know that they've done something wrong. Or they actually hide themselves. And so that's the more common thing. Hiding the evidence only works for so long. Hiding themselves seems to be the better option. And so they will often race away if they recognise they've done the wrong thing and go and hide. And that generally in our house means one location. Uh, They don't seem to think that other locations may be a better place to hide. That's in uh, Joshua's bedroom where we have a little tent set up and they go and sit inside the tent. And, uh, and, and sit there hoping that they'll get away from the punishment that is coming on them for doing something wrong. But we all recognise that we can have lots of different responses to recognising that we have done the wrong thing. We can respond in lots of different ways. And last time we looked at God's Word together, uh, well, before Easter, I should say, uh, we looked at the book of Ezra. We came back to it after spending some time away from it. We came to Ezra chapter 9. And we saw that God had told the Israelites there that they had, well, that he'd revealed that they'd been doing something wrong, that they'd recognised they'd been doing something wrong. What was that thing that they were doing wrong? Well, it was the fact that they had married people of other nations and then were being led astray by the wives as they married them because they would come with their own religions and their own idols. And so that's what we looked at in detail last time. We looked at verses 1 through to 4 of Ezra chapter 9 and we looked at how this was a serious sin that the people had committed. And uh, and so we saw that they had recognised the problem and now we're going to look at what is their response to it and particularly Ezra as a spiritual leader, what is his response to this sin that they has been revealed to them that they've been marrying people of other tribes and that has been wrong. And so this falls in a point in Israelite history that uh, we may not be necessarily familiar with. Uh, Basically, if you wanted to have an overview of the Old Testament up until this point, you start with Genesis, which is where God created all things. He created uh, two people. He created Adam and Eve. From Adam and Eve, you eventually get a man called Abraham. Abraham is a son called Isaac. Isaac has a son called Israel, initially Jacob, but then changes uh, his name to Israel. He then has 12 sons who then become the 12 tribes of Israel. Those uh, sons move to Egypt and have lots of children there. And then a pharaoh comes to the throne who does not like the Israelites. He puts them in slavery, starts to kill many of them. And so eventually... The Israelites move from Egypt back to the promised land where Abraham uh, was living and they take over the promised land. They live there for some time. They have kings like David and Solomon and then a whole bunch of other kings. But because of their continued rejection of God, they're eventually taken from Israel to Babylon. They, uh, many of them are killed, but then there's this ex- exile that happens where many of them are taken to Babylon under a king called Nebuchadnezzar. But then... 
Eventually, another king is in charge, Cyrus, and he allows the Jews to return to the land of Canaan, to the promised land. They come in two waves and they are reported for us in the book of Ezra, which is what we're looking at this morning. And we've had this second wave come with Ezra himself. He comes with some Israelites from Babylon back to the promised land. And when he gets back, it's then revealed to him what we see in verse 1 of chapter 9, that after these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighbouring peoples with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians and Amorites. So this is a new phase in Israelite history and they're finding out that sin has been committed by the Israelites. And so Ezra tears his cloak and his hair and his uh, from his head and from his beard in verse 3 and then we come to today, verse 5, where we see his next response to the fact that he has done something wrong and that is his prayer. He knows that the Israelite community has done something wrong and so he comes before God in prayer. And we see that in verse 5. It says, if you want to follow along, I encourage you to do so. Uh, Page 469 of the Black Church Bibles. Chapter 9, verse 5, we read, Then at the evening sacrifice I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and and prayed, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and disgraced to lift up my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. Ezra prays this prayer of confession and he prays that their sin is great. He says there, I'm so ashamed that I can't and disgraced that I can't even lift up my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads. And our guilt has reached to the heavens. He's confessing that their sin is great in what they've done. But we may say, well, is it really that big a deal? Does it really, should he pray that it's higher than their heads, higher as the heavens? Is what they've done very serious? Well, we see in his prayer of confession that he shows us a number of ways that their sin is indeed great. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. And that brings me to my first main point. Ezra confesses their sin has occurred repeatedly. Ezra confesses their sin has occurred repeatedly. If you want to see my main points, they're listed there on the back of the church bulletin. And there's ten of them this morning, which is unusual, highly unusual. Um, So we'll see if we get through them all okay. But the first is about why the sin of the Israelites is so great. Why Ezra says that their sin is high as the heavens. And it's because their sin has occurred repeatedly. So he says in verse 6 that their sin is great. And then in verse 7 he says, From the days of our forefathers until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. We see that he says that, our forefathers have sinned in this regard as well. We are re- we're people who repeat the sin again and again. It's kind of like that phrase, like father, like son. Like, yes, yeah, like father, like son. The son follows in the footsteps of the father. And that includes in sinful behavior in this case. He says, we are sinful. Why? Because we keep doing the sin again and again. Intermarriage didn't just start with the exiles as they came back. It was a part of Israelite practice in the days of the kings of Judah and Israel as well. 
King Solomon is held up as one of the first big examples of it. He's the third king of Israel. King Saul was there, then King David. King David's son is King Solomon. And King Solomon loved many foreign women, the Bible tells us. And in his later days they led him astray and so he actually worshipped idols. And we looked at that last time when I preached on this passage. And so why is their sin great? Because they're doing what Israelites have been doing again and again. Their sin is repeated sin. And we know our sin is great if we continue to do it again and again. That's my first main point. Why else is the sin of the Israelites so great? Well, my second main point is that Ezra confesses their sin has led to punishment. Their sin has led to punishment. In Australia, we recognise that there's different penalties for different crimes. Some crimes are basically a slap on the wrist. There's not much to them. You get a warning and let off. Some crimes are more serious and as they increase in their severity, then of course the penalty increases in its severity as well. And so if you want to know if your sin is great, look at the penalty that you receive for committing that sin. And when we look at the Israelites and what has happened to them because of their sin of intermarriage, we see that their sin must have been very great because of what happened to them. What happened to them? Well, verse 7 tells us, From the days of our forefathers until now our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings, as it is today. How great is their sin? It's so great that they have been subjected to the sword, to captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of kings. It has been severe, the punishment that has come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed most of them. Then he took most of uh, the remnant back to Babylon. He took them in exile. Their sin was that serious. We recognise in our country that that doesn't happen. We don't even have capital punishment, let alone destruction of whole communities. But that is how seriously God took the sin of the Israelites. And so their sin is severe because it's repeated sin and because they were punished severely for their actions. Why else is the sin of the Israelites great? Well, my third main point is that Ezra confesses their sin has occurred in spite of God's grace. In spite of God's grace. If you sin against someone, if you hurt somebody else when they've been nice to you, and kind and loving, the sin is all the greater. If you sin against some random person on the street, we don't see it as great as if you sin against your own mother or your own father. And with the Israelites, it's not as though their sin has occurred in a vacuum. Their sin has occurred while God has been so kind to them. And Ezra admits this. He said our sin is great, our sin has occurred repeatedly, our sin has been punished severely and it's all been while you have been so good to us, O God. And we see that in verses 8 and 9. How has God been good to them? Well, Ezra says, But now for a brief moment the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. He's preserved a remnant. He didn't need to do that. He could have destroyed them altogether, left them in exile in Babylon. But he's instead left a remnant and given them a firm place in his sanctuary. He brought them back to the promised land. 
and that God has given them a little light to their eyes and a little relief in their bondage. Things are not the same as they were in the past. He has been so good to them. And he continues in verse 9, Though we are slaves, our God has not deserted us in our bondage. God hasn't left them high and dry. No, he's been with them. Verse 9 continues, He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. He's brought them back. He's given the kings of Persia kind. Uh, he's used the kings of Persia to be kind to these Israelites. He's granted them new life to come back and rebuild the house of God. He's protected them in their rebuilding of Jerusalem as well. And yet, what have the Israelites done? In the face of God's kindness and love and care for them, they have sinned by marrying people of other religions. And that's what he says in verse 10. He says, But now, O our God, what can we say after this? You have been so kind to us, but what can we say when we recognize that we have sinned? Our sin is so great, we are lost for words. So their sin reaches to the heavens. Why? Because it's repeated sin. It's sin that has deserved punishment, destruction in the past. It is sin that has been done whilst God has been kind and gracious to them. Is there any other reason that Ezra gives in his prayer of confession why their sin is so great? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point. Ezra confesses their sin has occurred in spite of having God's law. Ezra confesses their sin has occurred in spite of having God's law. If you sin while you are ignorant of the law, it is not seen to be as serious. If you clearly understand what the law is and then you sin, the penalty is harsher. We recognize that it's a greater sin. So when it comes to police officers and judges who clearly should know the law very well, we hold them to a higher account when they break the same laws that someone who's not a police officer or not a judge if they break it. We've even seen this in our own houses. We've had to introduce different laws as the kids get a bit older. Uh, last week we had to introduce a new law. I won't go into the details of it. But basically they're at a stage now where uh, a line had to be drawn and said you can no longer do this anymore. And they listened, like Jill took one of them and I took one of them and we explained to them why we are introducing this law and, and uh, that they should follow it. And then half an hour later, the law is being broken. And, uh, and so at first we are gentle because they, they're little, they forget these laws, they can't even remember half an hour later that I told them something. And so there's a little mercy applied in that situation. But when we say, look, you're breaking the law here, remember what we said, oh, that's right, I forgot. You know, okay, you forgot, that's all right. But in time... As we've repeatedly reminded them, and we know they're no longer forgetting, they're just being disobedient, then the penalty will be harsher because we see that their sin is greater. If you know the law and you willingly break it, it's different from breaking the law in ignorance. And the thing is, with the Israelites and their intermarriages, they knew the law. It is not as though they were ignorant of that. And that's what Ezra says in verses 10 and following. He says, But now, our God, 
What can we say after this? For we have disregarded the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets, when you said this land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples. By their detestable practices they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, verse 12, do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance. God was very clear in his law that you cannot marry people of other nations because they will lead you astray into testable practices. God is not being racist here, as I said last time I preached on this text. It's okay to marry people of different races, as we see it happen in the Old Testament in a number of places. But it's marrying them and they are unbelievers and they bring their detestable practices into the home and so that you're led astray as they then encourage you to practice idolatry. That's what he's concerned about. And the Israelites knew this and yet they did it. They knew the law but they chose to obey the law. And so their sin is as high as the heavens because they did it repeatedly they did it and they knew they were getting punished for it. They did it in spite of God's favour and in spite of the fact that they had the law. And so their sin is indeed great. Is there another reason, though, that is given for why we can see that Ezra thinks that their sin is great? Well, that brings me to my fifth main point. Ezra confesses that they are helpless that they're helpless. He's already said that their sin is great by giving the illustration of that it is higher than their heads, it is high as the heavens. Now he says basically that they are helpless. He says in verse 13, What has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt, and yet our God, you have punished us less than our sins have deserved and have given us a remnant like this. Shall we again break your commands and intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices? He doesn't know the future. He's quite helpless here. He says, will we again do it? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving us no remnant or survivor? Yes, you've been gracious to us in the past, but we can't presume on your graciousness in the future that we will have any remnant. O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it not one of us can stand in your presence. The way he finishes this prayer after admitting in different ways how serious their sin is, is by just putting himself in God's hands and saying, you are righteous, we are a remnant, and we can't even lift our faces. We can't stand before you in your presence. And so we see that the sin of the Israelites is great by the way that he ends the prayer as well, where there's no real hope given in this prayer, that he's just putting himself, he recognises the sin is so great that all he can do is admit his guilt and then he just is there before the righteous God. So that is Ezra and the Israelites. They've sinned in all these, uh, they, they sinned in this great way with their intermarriage. What can we learn from this passage for us today? What can we learn? Well, last time I did speak about how we all have committed intermarriage in the way that we have uh, given ourselves to different types of idols in the lives that we live, that often we embrace sin when we should be embracing Christ as our as our groom. There's this wonderful image in the Bible of Christ is the groom and we as his church are the bride and we often intermarry with other people at the same time that we're say, saying that we should be seeking God. 
And when we recognise this, that we are sinners as well, that we have committed great sin, then we should pray like Ezra. I think Ezra gives us a model of how we should confess our prayers to God as well because we are in a similar situation to the Israelites as well. Our sin is great too. Now you may say, oh, my sin isn't as high, higher than my head or my sin doesn't go as high as the heavens. But let me tell you that the Bible is clear that it does. It tells us in a number of ways that our sin is great in a similar way that the sin of the Israelites was great as well. How is your sin great? Well, that's my sixth main point this morning. You should confess that your sin has occurred repeatedly. The Israelites recognized that their fathers had sinned and they had sinned again and again. And we do the same as well. If we're honest, we recognize that we haven't just sinned against God once. We sinned against him again and again and again. We are a people of sin and we have fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers who have continued in that line as well of sin. We sin again and again. Our sin is great. But how else is our sin great? Not just because it occurs repeatedly, but because our sin also has led to punishment. My seventh main point this morning is you should confess that your sin has led to punishment. Our sin does indeed bring punishment, and that shows how serious our sin actually is. What sort of punishment do we see that our sin brings? Well, it brings personal pain in this world. We see that again and again. We do something unkind to someone around us, and often there's some sort of painful repercussion that comes back on us, which shows that our sin is serious, that it doesn't go with just a slap on the wrist or nothing at all. It comes back with repercussions. The Bible also teaches that our sin is so serious that it deserves eternal punishment in hell. This is a clear teaching of the scriptures which demonstrates that our sin must be serious. If that is what we deserve for our sin, then it is above our heads. It is as high as the heavens. And then another way that the Bible shows how serious our sin is is that it took Christ's suffering at the cross to pay for our sin. Who was Jesus Christ? He was God himself, come into this world and died a painful, excruciating death at the cross when he had never sinned. Yet that is what it took for your sin to be paid for because that's what he was doing at the cross. If we believe in Jesus Christ, then he takes the penalty that we deserve. He experiences the wrath of God at the cross in our place, which means that when we look at the cross, we're actually seeing how serious our sin is, that it took the punishment of the Son of God to atone for our sin. Our sin must be so serious if it means that God himself has to come, live on this earth, and then die an excruciating death. Our sin is above our heads. It is as high as the heavens. How else do we know that our sin is great? Well, that brings me to my eighth main point. You should confess that your sin has occurred in spite of God's grace. Like Ezra recognized that his sin was great because of the kindness that God had shown to him, so we should recognize that our sin is great because God has been repeatedly kind to us and yet we continue to sin. Like the Israelites, God creates us sustains us, gives us much joy, gives light to our eyes, as it says that he did to the Israelites. He sets us free 
from Satan and from sin, from bondage to sin. He doesn't desert us. He helps other people to be kind to us like he helped the Israelites have kindness from the kings of Persia. So often we as Christians, we have people outside Christianity helping us, supporting us, loving us, and that's from God. He grants us strength to work on his house like he was helping them to work on God's house. He gives us protection and he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve, as Ezra confessed there either as well. God is so good to us and yet we sin. That then indicates that our sin is very serious because we're slapping our Heavenly Father in the face every time we sin. Would you slap your own earthly father in the face? No, because he's so good to you. He's a loving heaven, a loving father. Hopefully you had a, a loving earthly father. Not all of us had that privilege, but for many of us we did. Or your mother. You wouldn't do it because she's so good to you. And yet that's what we do to our heavenly father. He is so good to us, yet we sin against him, which means our sin is great. How else is our sin great? Well, that brings me to my ninth main point. You should confess that your sin has occurred in spite of having God's law. We all know God's law. It's written on our conscience and it's written in this book. And many of us Christians know it very well. We know the Ten Commandments. We learn them in Sunday school. We learn to rattle them off when we're young. We can go through and name them all. And we can name so many of the other commandments of God. And yet what do we do? We break them. Like the Israelites, they knew that what they were doing is wrong, but they continued to do it, which meant their sin was great. And it's the same for us today. Our sin is great because we have the law and yet we choose to just disobey the law. How else is our sin great? We've seen that's repetitive. We've seen that's in spite of punishment, in spite of grace, in spite of having the law. How else is it great? Well, that brings me to my tenth main point. You should confess that you are helpless. You are helpless in your sin. What tells you that you are helpless in your sin? Ezra just is there at the end saying, what can I say? Can we say anything before God in our sin? No, we can't. The Bible is clear that the only thing that can save us from our sins is faith in Jesus Christ, which isn't a work in itself. We are helpless before God. It's not as though God says, yes, you are a sinner. And it's not that serious because if you do these things, you'll be okay and you can... You can be acceptable before me. No, the Bible tells us that because of our sin, we are unable to do anything before God to make up for what we've done wrong. The only thing that can save us is faith in Jesus Christ. And so that illustrates how serious our sin is. If it has to come all from outside ourselves, our sin must be really bad. Because we often think, oh, no, we're fairly independent, we can help ourselves, which means we're not that bad. No, we are, according to the Scriptures. It is only by God's grace, through faith, that we can be saved. And so in response to our sin, this is the way we should pray. We should learn to pray like Ezra. We shouldn't run and hide ourselves in a tent like my children do when they become conscious of sin. No, we should come to God and confess our sin. So often as Christians I think we make too little of repentance and just a lot of God's grace. We are quick to go to forgiveness from God without really understanding how sinful we actually are. 
Which means that God's grace is really not that great in the end anyway. How is God shown to be gracious? By forgiving great sinners. As we see the immensity of our sin, his grace looks greater and greater because he forgives so much more of our sin than we imagined before. And so if we want to see Jesus as a great saviour, then we must recognise firstly that we are great sinners. He is a great saviour because we are great sinners, because his death pays for all that serious sin that we have committed repeatedly, we've committed even in spite of punishment, in spite of uh, the law that we have, in spite of God's grace. He continues to forgive us in that. And so this is a illustration here in the Bible of what true repentance actually looks like, examining your sin and seeing how serious it actually is. Have you prayed a prayer like this in your life? If you haven't, how do you know you're actually a Christian? If you've never seen your sin to be as serious as Ezra sees it here, how do you know you're a Christian? Because our sin is very serious. And this book reveals to us how serious it actually is. If you are a Christian, you should have at some point in your life have come before God and recognised how great your sin is. And as a regular part of being a healthy Christian, you should do it again. Every time you sin, particularly in some grievous way, you should come and examine your heart again and recognise how great your sin is. And only then come before God and ask for his mercy. Once you've examined yourself and seen that you're a sinner. Because who needs mercy if you haven't done anything wrong? Mercy is when someone does not treat you as you deserve. When they withhold punishment from you. And so if you want God's mercy, first you need to come to him repentance, recognising that you're a serious sinner. I think so often we just do not make much of our sin, which means we do not make much of God and his grace and his son, Jesus Christ. Do you feel this way about your sin? Do you feel this way about the sin of those around you? Because remember, that's Ezra hasn't actually married anyone that he shouldn't have married. He's praying this about the people that have done this, but he feels their guilt with himself because they're as a people group. Do you feel that about the people around you? That their sin is so great that you come before God and you're begging for mercy for them. If you want to be better at sharing the gospel with those around you, then focus on the sin of those people around you. And as you see more and more how serious it is, you will have more and more of a drive to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you like Ezra? Do you recognise the sin is serious in your life and the sin in those around you is serious too? Let us come before our God in prayer. Let us speak with him now. O Lord, God of Israel, you are indeed a righteous God and you have every right to destroy us because of our sin. But in your mercy, you have left us a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt. 
though because of it not one of us can actually stand in your presence. But thankfully, O God, because of Jesus Christ, our guilt is washed away. We are saved through his work at the cross. Lord, we pray that we may recognise again and again how serious our sin is and come before you in repentance, recognising that sin firstly before we flee to Christ. May we examine our hearts and see how terrible they are. And so when we go to Christ, he may be all the more sweeter and seem all the more lovely because we are seeing him as a great saviour of great sinners. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.